0: Get a free copy of Chantel Ray's Five Alive contract, the form that she has her agents sign to get a guaranteed $75,000 salary if they don't make it in commissions, a very controversial plan that's happening in her market today. You can get a free copy. Just text contract to 444-999 or go to hybendigital.com backslash contract. That's hybendigital.com backslash contract or just text contract to 444-999. Okay, Rockstar Nation, I have a super guest today coming from New York City. I got Julia Hoagland on the line, and uh, she is doing some great things there, and we're excited to catch up with her today. So, Julia, how you doing? I'm doing great, and you? Good. Welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Why don't you give you. Uh, our audience a little rundown on who you are, a little bit about you so they can get to know you better.
1: Okay. Um, I sell real estate in uh, New York City, residential, and I've been doing this for 12 years. I started this business after two careers, one in, in engineering and another one in structured credit underwriting on Wall Street. And I am super happy that I found this. It was pure luck that that happened, but it really suits me. I have a team now of eight people. I'm very proud of them. And we love what we do.
0: That's all there is to it, right? That's, that's, that's (laughs) good stuff. I know you started out at the Corcoran group, right? With Barbara Corcoran.
1: I did. Yes. One of my idols.
0: That's awesome. And now you have your own shop or where are you?
1: I'm with compass. We uh, license the platform compass. Yep. We all are independent contractors. So we all run our own businesses, one person or eight people. So, um, but yeah, I'm happy to be with Compass. It's a strong platform that enables me to spend time focusing on what I do best as opposed to doing things that they do best. So
0: um, can you explain that for those who don't understand that? So when you say we license the platform Compass, it sounds a lot different than, you know, I am at XYZ Brokerage.
1: (laughs) I'm happy to elaborate. So we... um, a long time ago, I worked with a business advisor, and a long time ago, he helped me see that I am running my own business uh, at the end of the day, and so I used to refer to myself as working at or working for the Corcoran Group. That's where I started, so I'm using their name there, uh, but it could have been anywhere, and uh, the reality is that I don't... Uh, We're 100% commission-based, and so what's really happening is we, all brokers, all agents, are paying the brokerage platforms the companies like Compass or Corcoran or Brown-Harris-Stevens to use their name, their brand, their website, their office space, and so they're essentially, from an accounting standpoint, a cost of goods sold. So I have a business. Uh, the revenues are the commission income from the deals that we do. And I pay a percentage of each of those deals to Compass currently uh, in exchange for all of the tools and services that they gave me.
0: Is, it, is there a big difference between that and saying, you know, I work for Remax? Or or is it just the the words that you're using?
1: Well, I had jobs where I was a W-2 employee uh, from, for all of my career before I started this business. And so I did truly work for them. I, I yeah. was there, and they paid me for that work. Right now, I'm working for myself, and I'm paying Compass currently to uh, help me do what I do and help me close deals and help me market my properties and, and be more efficient for my, my clients.
0: Okay. Okay, so uh, let's get into some nitty gritty. Let's talk about okay. uh, numbers. Like, how many houses did you sell last year?
1: We are a productive crew. We do we did last year about fifty five transactions, and that for us in Manhattan, only two percent of the housing stock is t- actually houses. So we we all sell mostly apartments. Um, so I that was a combination of co ops, con- condos, and townhouses, and of the um, I mean, after after fifty or fifty five transactions, our gross commission incomes were just about two point two million.
0: Okay. What's your average sale price?
1: I think if I did the math last year, it would be around two and change, two million.
0: Okay. Okay. So, as we like to say on the show, your ECI, your ego commission income, is two point two million. <laughs> and so, what is your profit?
1: The Companies' profit, after all costs are accounted for, that's a great question. I don't actually think of it that way, but probably I'd say we have maybe I don't know between twenty and thirty percent profit margin. I mean, I have to figure out what I pay myself there, which I don't. Well, how do you pay? How do you pay yourself?
0: (laughs) Do you pay yourself commissions, or do you just take what's left? I take what's left. Yeah, you take what's (laughs)
1: left. So
0: you know, at twenty percent would be four hundred thousand. Let's say four forty. So if you netted four forty, essentially, you know, tax return income, right? Uh, before you paid taxes, then you'd be twenty. If you netted six sixty, then that would be a seventy percent expense ratio and thirty percent profit margin.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it just yeah. I, the one thing that I would think. Further about, were I to do the math on this, is how much of a company that I would say that I own, which, I mean, technically now I don't have shareholders, so it's 100%. And so if I'm not reinvesting anything back into the company, it would be higher. But if I am, which I definitely am, in order to grow it, it's it's lower.
0: Right, right. But at the same time, when you when you quote-unquote reinvest, I mean, it's an expense. If you pay money towards advertising to make more money, that's you know, that counts, that counts as yes. expense. So, that's so, okay, true. cool. So, all <laughs> right. So where's your business coming from? All right. So how are you getting it?
1: I'm happy to say that about eighty eighty plus 80 plus percent of our business comes from past uh, and current clients and customers. So buyers and percent. sellers.
0: Okay. That's huge. And so yeah. what, are, what are you doing? Right. I mean, What are you doing to make that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it starts with that, doesn't it? I mean,
1: (laughs) yeah, no, we, I mean, I'm, uh, I subscribe to the uh, giver's gain mentality. And I, I believe that what you put into the world will come back to you. And so I, I mean, clearly we do what we do at work. That's our, that's our, that's the baseline. We have to do a good job here. It's also about like figuring out what's important to your to your clients and trying to see if there are ways that you can, without too much you know effort, making it not worth it, um, get them and and give to them things that are meaningful. And that you know, it's I learned a long time ago that when someone gives something to me, I am 100% laser focused on figuring out what I can do for them, and that I never forget it. And I just it was it was a really big. Kind of epiphany for me when I got into sales because before I was in sales, I didn't I didn't get that at all. In fact, I was I was almost opposite. I'm not proud to say that, but I didn't I didn't really understand the abundance mentality and that it's okay mm. to give without receiving or knowing that you're going to receive. So yeah, that's I try and really figure out what's important to my my clients and then make that happen for them if I can. So can you give
0: me like um, a story maybe or an example of where you? went uh, above and beyond where most agents probably wouldn't have?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, as an example, this is a small story, uh, but it it will hopefully get the point across. I have a client who has a son with a a rare and and very hard to identify and define disease, which is unfortunate, but hopefully curable and, and everything will be fine. And um, he, I was chatting with him and a group of people the other day, and he was saying how, you know, he couldn't, none of the doctors that they talked to could figure this out, and they had been up and down and around, and if he could only, you know, they had slides of of the, um, of the, uh, I had cells, I don't know exactly, I'm not a doctor, but, uh, and so if they could just find a scientist that could, that could look at them but these microscopes that they need to see what what all of these doctors weren't seeing are those really powerful microscopes and I happen to have a good friend who's a scientist at a university and works with million dollar microscopes and so it was my pleasure to think oh my god I can I might be able to help this person and I'm not even in the medical profession and so I I put the two of them together and I hope that it helps I'm not sure where it will go but it's just that kind of thing. Just Yeah, like a matchmaker,
0: for, like a networker, you know?
1: A, a networker and a matchmaker, exactly. It's all about that. Wow,
0: wow. So, um, you know, I was going to ask you about something. Which, um, uh, you know, in your bio, I read this sentence, and um, I, want, I want you to kind of uh, let me know, like, how you use this to get more commissions, right, or, or to, to do better business. It says, through comprehensive data analysis augmented with qualitative interpretation skills used extensively in my former engineering and finance careers. We maximize value for clients. So uh, tell me about that. Like what do you do specifically with data, right? And qualitative interpretation that, that helps you sell more or rent more property in New York city.
1: (laughs) Happy to elaborate. Real estate, uh, selling real estate is both a science and an art. I'm certainly not the first person to say that. But in my world, what that means is starting with the quantitative side, which is that um, statistical analysis. In Manhattan, there are a lot of buys and a lot of sells. It's a very liquid market. And most of the time, not after the financial crisis, but that's a different story. And so you can do uh, get a pretty accurate Idea as far as a range of fair market value from conducting statistical analysis on sold comps. I mean, we have our our market is very dense. It's very, it's not very big geographically, um, horizontally, but vertically, it's it's huge, and so um, we have a lot of like properties. I mean, no two properties are exactly alike, but um, and we have a lot of data points, and so that's where I start is just by looking at sold comps and. And and active and in contract and um, working to adjust for square footage and bedroom count and condition and views and ceiling height and all of that kind of thing. And those are all quantitative factors. And so that gives us an idea of where to start. And data is by its nature historical. And so you're trying to predict the future using the past. And so the art comes into play when you look at current conditions and that's where the active inventory like how many apartments do we have competing against us if if we're selling or or pricing a three-bedroom and in the last six months when we're looking at comps there were you know 25 three bedrooms on the market that those prices are probably going to be uh somewhat softer than today's market if we have only two three-bedroom apartments competing with us because the use supply and demand balance has shifted towards us uh, on the sell side um if You know, seasonality is another qualitative factor. If those were all in winter and now we're in the spring, that will help us. Um, Interest rate, environment, political sentiment. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can affect today that might not have been affecting yesterday. Yeah. And that's, yeah.
0: Or last week or, or, you know, this year. I mean, I like how you say yesterday. I mean, because it could change that fast. It's interesting. So uh, so I want to talk to you about views, right? So, you know, I think most people in the markets that might be listening to this program aren't necessarily quantifying what a view is worth uh, a <laughs> view of one thing versus a view of another thing how do you how do you figure that out you know cuz you're dealing with high rises right and if it's a view it's kind of like a hotel room right you pay more for the hotel room with a view of a lake than you Berlin. do of the you know alley in the back so talk to me about that <laughs>
1: Well, so we have view, we have a lot of views in Manhattan, and um, the most coveted views, and it depends on the the observer, of course, beauty being the, the eyes of the beholder. But the most coveted views are tep- techni- technically, or typically, rather, those of parks and those of rivers, and then of course, uh, right next tier down would be those of significant, you know, monuments or buildings like the Empire State Building or. The Chrysler building or one world trade. And so, I mean, if you, I did once some time ago at the value of a view study, and, and that's very hard because then you have all these other factors that aren't the same condition and size and bedroom count and all of that. But you can definitely see a relation to um, views of water and views of parks and price, uh, which of course is not surprising. But I always, you know, I look at Park views. I mean, there are a lot of little parks in Manhattan, we have Central Park, but there are a lot of other parks um, in New York City and park front property to me is like beachfront property. And so for people that are listening that are, you know, more familiar with beachfront property, which is probably the case, um, that's the same concept, because they're not making more parks in New York City, it's just not ever going to (laughs) happen. The ones that we have, we have to protect. And so there's a lot of value there because you, you won't have something in front of you and that's how do you decide?
0: How do you do, how do you, you just use comps and say, you know, three comps that that face this got this much and three comps that face this got that much. Is it pretty much that simple?
1: That's yeah, that's how we start. And then of course, you know, park views can be different. Like central park goes from 59 to 110th street. If you're on the North side of the park, you you have views of down, you know Manhattan's uh, that the South Central Park South might not have, but you're in Harlem, which is a neighborhood that's valued lower than Central Park South is. So uh, there's a lot of adjusting. Always, <laughs> it's not an exact science, but you can yeah. get pretty close.
0: So yeah, because like ev- not every view of the park is the same. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Podcast Nation. Boy, listen, the emails, Facebook comments, everything is blowing up with regards to episode 500, Dale Archdeacon and Sam Monreal, the premier experts on real estate leads in the world. I would say we're on, and it was a phenomenal show. They have a class on rebus university. They have three classes that are being offered at 195 bucks each. The certified outbound lead specialist. Certified Inbound Lead Specialist and the Certified ISA Manager, course, all with a ton of videos, a ton of tests, and a ton of special downloads to help you build your outbound leads, your inbound leads, and your ISA teams. And so we are offering them for 100 people only. 100 people only, we're giving a bundle And in that bundle, you're gonna get all three and you get them all three for 495 bucks or you can buy them separately for 195 bucks each. You know, take the shortcut, avoid all the mistakes. You know, the right way to do it from the beginning, right out of the gate, turn key and easy, improve your lead conversion, improve your ROI, more commission dollars. I mean, just get the roadmap from proven experts. Your return on investment of 495 bucks is, tenfold just from one sale maybe 20 fold just from one sale I mean the cost of this course has a massive return on investment a massive one look at the five-star reviews on rebusuniversity.com of all of our other courses and you'll see that uh, we don't make crap we make courses that are phenomenal and these are some of the best we have a hundred percent money-back guarantee And again, it's proven experts who walk the talk. They don't just teach it. They're in the trenches every day. Now, when I did the interview with them on episode 500, they offered their emails to the world. And I'm like, dude, you do not want this. This could be a mistake. I said, let's just make this bundle. We'll make it 100 people for the bundle. We'll close it after 100. And anybody that gets the bundle will give them out your emails. So that's what we're gonna do. Not only do you get the bundle, but you're gonna get their private emails so you can email them questions you have as you go along or just email them and say hello. And that will be only for the first 100 people that jump on this. One way to get it, and that's just the text bundle. Text bundle, B-U-N-D-L-E to 444-999. Just text bundle to 444-999 get the isa manager course the outbound lead and the inbound lead course all in one this one is one of the best trust me that's bundle (laughs) that's bundle to 444-999 text the word bundle now All right, so uh, tell me about a uh, failure in the last eight years that you've had in growing your business or in the, the real estate sales game that uh, that happened. Uh, tell me what you learned from it, how you got out from under it.
1: I am, like most entrepreneurs, a victim of building the business from one person me and as the business grew fitting the business around the people that were that are in the, that were are in the business as opposed to looking at the business as an entity which is hard before it is an entity um and figuring out what seats need to be filled in the business and i i i've just recently over the last year or so come to this realization that, you know, we're eight people, we have revenues of over $2 million a year, we're, we need to do things according to what the business needs, as opposed to according to what the people in the business can do, if that makes sense. And so it's, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it a failure. It's just, it was the only way I could do it. When I was one person, I said, okay, let me do this and diving in. And then, oh my God, all I need. So you, you you were making
0: decisions for the good of the business. Versus for the good of Julia. By,
1: uh, ex- I was making decisions for the good of Julia first, instead right, of the right. business. That's what I mean. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly.
0: Yeah, we used to call um, when I had a big team. We used to name our team. You know, give it a name, and and we named it Mufasa from the oh, Lion cool. King. Yeah, <laughs> love that name. <laughs> so, so what happened was instead of saying, you know, what's in the best interest of Pat. Or even Pat Hyben Real Estate Group or, you know what I mean? Something that attached to me, it was always uh, what's in the best interest of Mufasa, you know? What's yes. the right thing for Mufasa? And I think that's what you're saying is, you know.
1: That's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm going to, I'm totally going to make up a name. Actually, I'm going to ask my team to make up a name for the team. It's really cool and fun to say.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, That's uh, that's an awesome thing to do. Absolutely, I recommend that for all big uh, for all teams for sure. So, so what is something that you have to deal with day to day in New York City or in Manhattan that other listeners in other parts of the country might not necessarily have to deal with? That's interesting.
1: Co-op boards. <laughs> yeah.
0: So tell me about that.
1: I mean, I'm kind of happy. I, maybe that's how I make myself feel better, but um, that we have to deal with co-op boards. I mean, so s- about 70% of our uh, – uh, yeah, about 70% of our housing stock is rental. And so that's that's unusual. I think it's flipped from yeah, most of the really – so, so Yeah,
0: it's really odd. So 70% of the people living in Manhattan rent. Correct. 30% own. And is, that's no. just an affordability thing, right?
1: Yeah, I or think affordability transit. has a lot to do with it. Um, it could be just by virtue of how the city also grew up. I mean, back in the '70s, when the city was just about bankrupt, the city was the biggest landlord. They owned all these buildings across the city, and they rented them. and And uh, they so that's how the co op market started. Actually, that the city was like, whatever it takes, will. Well, forgive all your taxes if you, Mr. Co-op Sponsor or Mrs. Co-op Sponsor, just please take this building off our hands and form it into apartments and sell them, and that's all good. And so that's what a lot of sponsors, they call them, did. And. So that of the 30% that's left, um, about 60% of the housing stock is co-op. So that's, that's our ratio. We do 60% co-op and uh, about 40% condo, and there's 1% or 2% townhouses in there. Okay, so well
0: let, me, let me slow you down a little bit. So, so this is very interesting. So in the 70s, a co-op sponsor would be a person, right?
1: A person or a group of people, yep.
0: Okay, and with, they would come the in and say you know we'll buy this building we'll take this building off your hand because i know it's a drain on your resources new york city and the city didn't want them why didn't the city just say condo it or you know sell it it was it because they couldn't or you know i don't understand how the concept of co-op uh happened when condo makes logical sense sense. to me yeah (laughs) I didn't want to say more so sense because it may make sense there. I don't. I just don't understand it. You know.
1: So here's why: the to form these co-ops uh, or to form to take a, a rental building into a building that could be in, have apartments that were individually owned uh, took a lot of legal expenses and probably some structural work, maybe some. Upgrades to the building needed to happen before the attorney general was going to be happy with the fact that this, you know, part or the Department of Buildings, for that matter, uh, that this building was a safe place to live, and and all of these things. And so these sponsors needed money, in order, and and some of the residents, by the way, didn't want to or didn't have the means to buy their apartments, and so they would be staying there as tenants. And so the sponsors needed to maintain, retain ownership of those units and pay the maintenance on them. So. All of this required money, and when you have a co-op, the tax lot for the co-op is the entire building, and the people in the co-op, and I happen to own one, uh, own shares in the corporation that is the building, and the shares give us the right to exist in this apartment that is in this building. And so to get that money that it took to form these co-ops, they needed to take out underlying building debt and so depending on the co-op in manhattan most of them have underlying building mortgages which is impossible in a condo situation because you don't have individual tax lots to mortgage because everyone owns them Um, and so that co-op concept enabled debt to be taken out on the building and it also enabled tenants to um stay in the building if they didn't want to or have the means to purchase the the shares
0: Hmm. do people build co-ops today no no
1: well the only reason that they would build a co-op is if they had a building that was on land that was not owned by the building and that's a land lease which it's very unusual but it could happen i mean yeah yeah yeah. but otherwise no there's no co-ops being built
0: right so in a co-op does the city still own the land or does the co-op own the whole thing building in land
1: Almost always a co-op owns it, except for in those land lease situations. You've okay. got land lease,
0: yeah. Okay, all right. And then now as a real estate agent, tell me what you guys have to deal with that we're not dealing with <laughs> in, in Baltimore or in, in Los Angeles or wherever.
1: So co-op boards um, have the right to decline purchasers based on financial means, They don't have the right to discriminate, not saying it never happens, but I haven't seen it happen too much, fortunately. But finances or smoking or some other things, they're not protected classes in New York City or in the U.S. And so um, if you have to, as a buyer of a co-op, not only put down a minimum 20 percent, some co-ops are 50 percent, some don't even allow financing. But you also have to have a certain amount of liquid assets after close uh, at least two years, and you have to have a maximum debt-to-income of 25 percent, more or less. And that's much stricter than a bank will require if you're yeah, getting a Yeah, absolutely,
0: 25 percent. I mean, you right? can't now. Yeah, that's there's no <laughs> loan that conservative now, right? <laughs> I mean, no,
1: no, not for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So <laughs> that's the. Uh, nor was that, you know yeah that's really conservative for any financing so the 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 really great part about co-ops i mean there's more than one great thing but during the financial crisis the average default rate on condos was much higher than that of co-ops and it really, the, this you know, beautiful thing that we call a co-op and a board approval and requiring you know strong financials again and really saved the housing market in large part in New York. When the financial crisis hit, because people in these buildings they have a lot of liquid assets, they can take them through crises, and they have not that high of a debt ratio, so they don't—they're not, you know, using all of their savings, and they they also typically have to be primary residences or maybe pied a terre's. But so people are not going to give up their homes; they'll give up investment properties much much sooner. Right. Yeah. So it served to protect New York City. So I have to I have to give the whole yeah, system credit. Yeah. I could
0: I could see that now does it make condos worth more because they're easier to get meaning the buyer pool is greater cuz more people can qualify so does it the, do you think the value of a condo is inflated because of that
1: yeah the value condos and co-ops have a huge differential in value i'm not sure if one is inflated or the other is deflated right right but there's a <laughs> differential
0: that's i guess what i was getting at the, the condos are are more expensive
1: Condos are more expensive, and there are three reasons, some of which you just mentioned, that that is the case. One is that, yes, you don't have to qualify, and so as long as you can get the money and buy the property, you can you can own it. Um, you don't have to have extra money. You don't have to have a, max, a, minimum, a maximum debt ratio. So then your buyer pool is bigger, and therefore your market clearing price will be higher. You also, co-ops often require, and this is related to the last comment, but uh, buyers with U.S. assets and U.S. credit so the international market is completely funneled into the condo market. And so mm. the demand for condos is higher because as an international person, you can't buy a co-op. Yeah. Um, except for in rare cases.
0: Wow. And then the
1: third reason is that underlying building debt that I mentioned earlier, as you know, you're buying into a co op's the share of the corporation's assets and its debt. And mm. so that debt does tend to weigh down on the valuation.
0: Interesting. And so from a square footage standpoint, Mm -hmm. let's say you had a condo and a co-op next to each other with the same location, essentially same block and and same views and that sort of thing. What would the, what would the roughly just, you know, spit something out? What would the difference be? You know, in in
1: 20 to
0: 25%. Okay. Okay.
1: It's pretty, pretty substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Very Mm -hmm. interesting
0: very interesting what about yeah. technology Julia what what are you using now either phone app or software within your team that uh, that you're excited about
1: one of our very favorite tools is text expander <laughs> um, so we have uh, our team every team works differently as I know you're aware of and um, so I can't say that this would work for every team but because of the way that we work you know we have we say a lot of things over and over, right? Because, you know, the same next steps after you have an accepted offer apply to basically every con- every transaction. And so, um, you know, there are times I trust my team and I love that they're in touch with our clients and I, I want them to be because, frankly, it's going to help me. That's part of my succession plan <laughs> is figuring out how the team survives. Yeah, Um, and so they do connect a lot with our clients, but at the, you know, at this stage where we, at some stages, I haven't talked to the clients or the customers in, in some weeks because my team has been in touch with them. And so in those moments, my team will draft emails for me to send to them, you know, just saying, these are your next steps and congratulations. And so instead of them having to type everything over again, which takes way too much time and is totally inefficient, we just, you know, this text expander lets you say, snip next steps. And that's all you type, <laughs> and the whole email comes—14 paragraphs or whatever it is—and they just have to fill in the name, <laughs> and they send it to me, and then I forward to the client. So that's one of our favorite, our favorite, um, our favorite little tools. We Text have. Uh, I'm
0: gonna get that. Okay, keep going.
1: Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> um compass it the head of it actually found that for us so i i have to give the credit to compass for for identifying that compass is as you may or may not be aware a totally technology-based firm um not totally but heavily technology-based and they they married you know business and technology from the beginning and i have a lot of you know a lot of great memories from my my previous firms and 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 have nothing bad to to say about any of them. But what I will say is just a fact is that those firms were in existence before technology really came on the scene. And so when technology came, it was kind of necessary to insert it into an already well-functioning machine. Compass has the, doesn't have the, has a benefit of not having a legacy, I I guess I'll put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we can, we've been growing up from, you know, Year one with the business and the technology side by side. And so we have tools that enable me not to have to spend a lot of time formatting comps um, or pulling them or, um, you know, they give me the products where I need it, which is at the analysis stage The tools can't do that, but they can do everything else. And so we have valuation tool here. Um, we just announced something called collections, which is like a Pinterest for real estate. Um, it enables me to send to you, if you're my buyer, um, a collection of properties from the listings in Manhattan that I think are great for you because of X, Y, and Z. We can comment back and forth. You can add. I can add. You can subtract. I can subtract. So um, those are two of the tools that we have here that I'm excited about.
0: Oh, and it gives you like a, a Pinterest board, but it yeah. just has properties. And, exactly, and you're writing little notes or marking them, or you know,
1: yeah,
0: very interesting. Fascinating. You're interacting. Yeah. I remember I read, and I I don't have it in front of me, but like a year ago, there was a big influx of of money, right, of funding from a venture capital firm into Compass, correct?
1: Yes, we had four rounds of funding, and I our last the last one was the biggest
0: and so why do you think that is because you know venture funding usually doesn't happen a lot when it comes to real estate whether they be franchises or or corporate owned uh, companies
1: i believe it was because of the idea being not done in the past it's a I mean, our founders are Ori Allen and Robert Refkin. And Ori is a technology superstar who sold companies to Google and Twitter that we, we, you and I use today when we search, um, in, in the case of Google. Uh, and Robert Refkin was... Someone who, I mean, he worked uh, at Goldman Sachs for many years. He was a Washington Fellow under the Treasury Secretary, Snow, I believe. And he, he's a business, like, brilliant business mind. And so those two came together to figure out how to marry the two to conduct business more efficiently. And then they hired McKinsey to do studies on which industries were most underserved by technology and really say mm. won every contest. Really? And I guess, <laughs> yes. does, it, does it go without saying that you're completely paperless we're not at all <laughs> it's hard with <laughs> board packages <laughs> oh, oh Yeah, shy. I, I know <laughs> <laughs> you you caught me <laughs> yeah. it's hard to go paperless but I try personally but it, it's just you know yeah. co-ops especially it's just about the board packages they don't they don't do the paperless thing much. oh is that right
0: okay Mm-mm. so you got to print them all out and
1: 10 mm-hmm. versions
0: yeah <laughs> 10, oh, and, and there's 10 members of the board that have to review it and all mm-hmm. that? And you, mm-hmm. can't, you can't just email it, huh?
1: On occasion, we'll have an enlightened board, and I think that's going to happen more and more in yeah. the future. I don't think anyone loves throwing away two inches of paper after they just glance at it, but not that everyone only glances <laughs> oh, really? at it, but some people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. Well, listen, Julia. This has been great. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy day to come on the show. And uh, thank you. Best of luck to you. If I'm ever in Manhattan, we'll uh, get together and break some bread.
1: I would love that. Thanks so much, Pat.
0: Thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Please be sure to leave us a five star review wherever you're listening. All five-star reviews help us get better and better guests for your listening pleasure. And if you have a great review, I'll read it on the show. We're so proud of this show now with over a million downloads in 79 countries around the world. Also, don't forget to buy my book if you haven't already. Six Steps to Seven Figures, A Real Estate Agent's Guide to Building Wealth and Creating Your Destiny. With an intro by Gary Keller. Sold everywhere online books are sold. You can always go to pathybin.com and find out about all things Pat Hybin. And don't forget to follow me on social media. All you got to do is type in my name. I'm everywhere and easy to find. I hope to meet face to face someday. But in the meantime, let's meet on social media. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking.